This is Fresh Air. I'm Dave Davies in for Terry Gross. Loretta Lynn, one of America's most beloved and influential country music stars, died yesterday at her home in Tennessee. She was 90. Lynn was famous for her singing, her songwriting, and her life story, told in the 1980 film Coal Miner's Daughter. The film was adapted from Lynn's memoir, which described how she grew up in poverty in eastern Kentucky, became a wife at age 15, and after having four children, started writing songs and performing. She made her debut on the Grand Ole Opry in 1960. Lynn became the first woman to be named Entertainer of the Year by the Country Music Association in 1972, and in 1988 she was inducted into the Country Hall of Fame. Sixteen of her songs reached number one on the country charts. In her New York Times obituary, Bill Friskick's Warren wrote, quote, Ms. Lynn built her stardom not only on her music, but also on her image as a symbol of rural pride and determination. Her music was rooted in the verities of honky-tonk country and the Appalachian songs she had grown up singing. Terry interviewed Loretta Lynn in 2010. A tribute CD had been released which featured her songs recorded by the White Stripes, Steve Earle, Miranda Lambert, and others. They started with Loretta's first recording, Honky Tonk Girl, followed by the version on the tribute album performed by Leanne Womack. Loretta Lynn singing her song, I'm a Honky Tonk Girl, and then Leanne Womack from the new Loretta Lynn tribute, Coal Miner's Daughter. Loretta Lynn, what a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Terry. It's really nice to be on your show. Now, did you pick the performers on the new tribute CD? And did you talk with them at all about the songs? No, I didn't talk to them. I just uh, told um, uh, my manager who I would like to have on the, you know, the record. And uh, the next thing I knew, they were here, and we did the album. We had a good time. Me and Cheryl Crow and uh, Miranda Landham did um, the video down at my house, and it, we were there all day long, so we had a good time. Now, the song we just heard, that's the first song you wrote. It was your first record, released in 1960. Right. You say you wrote it in 20 minutes on a $17 guitar that your husband bought that's for you. true. Because he thought you sang well. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and and you wrote a song because he told you to. Do you think you yeah. ever would have written or performed if your husband didn't say that's what you should do? No, I wouldn't have because I was too bashful. I wouldn't get out in front of people. I wouldn't, you know, I was really bashful, and I wouldn't, um, I would have never sang in front of anybody. 
So when you wrote Honky Tonk Girl with absolutely no songwriting experience, how did you approach writing a song? You know, I just sat down with my guitar. I was outside. Uh, in fact, I was leaning up against the old toilet out there in the West Coast in Washington State. Did, did, you, and, say, did uh, you say the toilet? <laughs> the, uh, the old toilet, yeah. Okay. And uh, I sat there and wrote Honky Tonk Girl and Whispering Sea. So what made you think of the story that you tell in Honky Tonk Girl? Well, I think I probably listened to a bunch of people, you know, their songs and stuff, and, and I figured, well, I can, if they can write, I can too. So I just um, said, hey, I'm going to tell a story, and that's what I did. And had you hung and out it, on, at Honky Tonk, or did you know them from songs? No. Uh, when I first started writing, my husband got me a job at this little uh, bar, and me and a steel player and my brother, he played the fiddle and sang. So we sang together, and uh, so we really had a good time, you know. And uh, I wrote Honky Tonk Girl and Whispering Sea uh, during that time. So you were doing some performing? Yeah, I just had started. I in see. fact, I'd never sang in front of anybody till my husband pushed me out there, you know. I'd never been out and sang for anybody. But at home you sang? I rocked the babies to sleep, and uh, in Kentucky, when I was growing up with my sisters and brothers, we all sang and rocked the babies to sleep, you know, but that was about as far as we ever did, you know. So when you recorded your first single, Honky Tonk Girl, you were 24. You'd already been married for 11 years because you got married when you were 13, and you already had four children. Do I have that right? I had four kids. Uh-huh. And the twins came a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, the, the twins come later. What was your life like as a wife and mother before you started recording? It wasn't easy. Uh, me and my husband both worked. I took care of the farmhouse. I cleaned and cooked for 36 ranch hands. Wow. And, um, yeah, before I started singing. And um, so it, singing was easy. I thought, gee whiz, this is an easy job. Wait, so you, you cooked and cleaned for 36 ranch hands and uh-huh. had four children? Uh-huh. Sure did. Paid the rent on the old house that we lived in. And um, that's what I did to make the rent. Yeah. Wow. Um, It wasn't easy, let me tell you. Life was hard. (laughs) So when you made your first appearance on the Opry, which was the same year that you recorded Honky Tonk Girl, um, you weren't used to performing on such a prestigious stage in front of an audience like that. Did you know how to perform on stage in a place like the Not opera. really. I just uh, got on there with my guitar and I sang. I mean, I just did it just like I was doing it at home, you know. I never thought about it being the Grand Ole Opry because if I had it, I wouldn't have been able to have done it. You but, just pretty well got to figure, well, you know, this is something like you do every day. Right. <laughs> it's so much <laughs> like what you do every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the next song we're going to hear is a song that you first recorded in 1966, Don't Come Home a-Drinkin' with okay. Lovin' on Your Mind. And this is, this is a great song. Gretchen Wilson sings it on the tribute CD. We're going to hear your version. But first I want to hear the story of how you wrote it. You'd already had about six years of songwriting experience behind you. You probably were no longer leaning against the toilet when you, <laughs> when you, when you wrote this. I was probably, um, a dude fixed me a little writing room at this time out in Goodlesfield. Dude was your husband. And, was your, your, uh, your late husband. Dude was my yeah. husband, yes. And um, he's the only one I've ever had. And um, so he fixed me this little writing room, and I'd go out there and I'd write. And this is one of the songs that I wrote, was Don't Come Home Drinking with Loving on Your Mind. And at this point, did you feel like, I know how to write a song? 
Oh, yeah. When I wrote Don't Come Home and Drink and I knew I could write because I'd had quite a few on the charts by that time. Now, you've said that your husband is in every song that you've written in a large way or in a small way. Still is. So I it, mean, <laughs> if I write a song, he's in there somewhere. Were you thinking of him when he wrote this song? I mean, oh, yeah. Would he come home after drinking like that? Well, sure. If a man drinks, he's going to come home drinking. He liked to drink. Was the song intended to send him a message at all? Not really. Uh, I probably told him many times. I didn't have to sing about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's hear the song. This All right. is Don't Come Home a Drinkin', uh, recorded in 1966 by Loretta Lynn, right. and it was a number one country music chart. Okay. Well, you thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night. You'd been out with all the boys and you ended up half tired. But liquor and love, they just don't mix, leave the bottle or me behind. That was Loretta Lynn, recorded in 1966. And there's a new Loretta Lynn tribute CD. And on that CD, uh, that song is performed by Gretchen Wilson. Now, when you started performing, Patsy Cline was your mentor until she Mm -hmm. died. Um, But, you know, she hadn't been in the business that long when uh, I came to Nashville. She'd only been singing two or three years. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So she must have really related to what you were going through. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talked a lot. <laughs> what were some of the things that she taught you that really helped you a lot? Things relating to, you know, from from clothing to performing style to dealing with well, the music industry. Yeah, go ahead. You know, with the style and everything that I that I was, you know, I was in blue jeans and a T-shirt or blue jeans and just a Western shirt. And uh, she uh, taught me a lot uh, how to dress. And What did she and, tell you uh, about how to dress? Well, she told me to get out of the jeans, you know. Of course, I would wear them till we get to the radio station, and then I'd get in the back seat and put on my dress. And then I'd take the dress off and go back into my jeans and wait till the next radio station. <laughs> and then I'd go back into my dress again. <laughs> and did she give you any advice about performing? Not really. Uh, I think she wanted me to learn that on my own, and I think it's best for every artist to learn on their own what they're going to do on stage and how they act. And I, th- I don't think anybody else can teach you that. I want to play another song that you wrote. And this was a song that was actually pretty controversial at the time it came out, and it's called Rated X. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm going to let you describe what the song's about. Well, it's about uh, a woman that's been married and divorced. And I'll just let you listen to it. Okay. And what I want to do, uh, I want to go to the tribute CD. Um, The White Stripes have a really uh, good reworked, like reinterpreted version of this. Yeah. And I know you've worked with Jack White before. He produced a terrific album of yours in 2004 called Van Lear Rose. Right. So do you want to say anything about the the White Stripes version of your song? Well, I think uh, 
whatever Jack does is good. I mean, you can't, um, uh, I mean, he's good. You have to love him. So this is good. Okay, so this is the song Loretta Lynn wrote. She recorded it in 1971. It's called Rated X, and here's the White Stripes from the Loretta Lynn tribute album Coal Miner's Daughter. White Stripes from the new Loretta Lynn tribute album, Coal Miner's Daughter, and um, also Loretta Lynn's uh, famous memoir, Coal Miner's Daughter, has been published in a new edition. Now, we were talking before about writing from a a woman's point of view, which Rated X uh, most certainly is, Um, you know, about what it's like to be a divorced woman when men think that you're available and try to take advantage of you and you have a reputation. So uh, why was the song controversial? I think it was because, uh, you know, you've mar- been a married woman. I think it, when you write about it, they take it to heart, too, you know. they People do. So um, I think that was it. It just starts out, if you've been a married woman, things didn't seem to work out. Divorce is the key to being loose and free, so you're going to be talked about. So that's exactly how it is, you know. When you called it Rated X... I mean, do you think some people thought, oh, this is going to be a very provocative, sexy oh, yeah. <laughs> song because you know, it's of rated the, X? Yeah. A lot of the disc jockeys, uh, you know, banned it before they even listened to it. And, um, you know, they, it, after it got way up in the charts and they all flipped the record started listening to it and playing it. But, um, you know, another old dirty record from Loretta Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, something that was even more controversial than Rated X was your song, The Pill, which is That's right. about... The Pill was on the way, and, you know, we have a lot of them that says it like it is, so that's really, I guess, we're not to talk about the way it is. <laughs> this has some lyrics that I, I think, you know, really were controversial in some country music circles at the time, and the lyrics include... Um, this old maternity dress I've got is going in the garbage. Mm-hmm. You've set this chick in your last time because now I've got the pill. I'm tearing yeah. down this brooder house because now I've got the pill. Yeah. So the song sounds autobiographical in some ways. I'm not saying that you are necessarily angry in the way that the character in the song is angry, but you had six children. I had six kids. I lost three. You lost three? 
I lost three. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was about I five that. and six. Well, they wasn't. Uh, you know, I lost them before they were born. Um, oh, so but, you had um, six and lost three others. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of pregnancies. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Stating the obvious. <laughs> um, did you share the song's anger? Well, I sure didn't like it when I got pregnant a few times. Uh, you know, it, it's hard uh, for a woman to have so many kids. And, um, well, at the time, I guess I had um, four, and then I got pregnant and had, you know, with, with the twins. But, um, yeah, I was a little angry. Let's hear it. And this was released in 1975, right. recorded in 1972. This is Loretta Lynn, The Pill. You wind me and dine me when I was your girl. Promised if I'd be your wife, you'd show me the world. But all I've seen of this old world is a bed and a doctor bill. I'm tearing down your brooder house, cause now I've got the pill. All these years I've stayed at home while you had all your fun. And every year that's gone by, another baby's come. There's gonna be some changes made right here on Nursery Hill. You set this chicken your last time, cause now I've got the pill. This old maternity dress I've got is going in the garbage. The clothes I'm wearing from now on won't pick up so much yardage. Mini skirts, hot pants, and a few little fancy frills. Yeah, I'm making up for all those years since I've got the pill. That's Loretta Lynn, recorded in 1972. It was released in 75. The song is called The Pill. Um, now, you've said that you, you never even used the pill as birth control. <laughs> um, well, if I'd have had it, I'd have used it uh, I see. at the time. But, yeah, because right. see, when back, back when I was having all the kids, we didn't have birth control pills. Or if they did, I didn't know anything about them. Well, so you write that there's a lot you didn't know about when you got married in 1947, and you say you didn't, you didn't under- know anything about sex either, did I? <laughs> no, you say you didn't know anything about sex no. or or even pregnancy. You say when you got pregnant, you didn't even know the word. Is that right? Well, I don't know. Uh, I guess we just called it having a baby. We didn't call it pregnant. Uh-huh. Back in Butcher Holler, there was a lot of things we didn't know. So, a lot of things they still don't know back there. <laughs> when I think of you getting married, it just seems so young. Well, it is. It is way too young. So when you got married about a year afterwards, you moved to the state of Washington. Washington State. Far mm-hmm. away. Did you feel lost for a while when you, when you moved away oh, yeah. from your family and everything you knew? Yeah, Daddy said he told me he wouldn't take you away where I couldn't see. <laughs> Here I was 3,000 miles away. Two months after he married me. Wow. I was thinking what, what it must have been like for you to be, you know, so far away from home at the age of, like, 15, having children yeah. already. Um, you probably had yeah. no idea you were ever going to become famous. No. N- never. 
and um, I still don't. <laughs> I'm not famous. <laughs> I'm just me. Loretta Lynn speaking with Terry Gross in 2010. Loretta Lynn died yesterday at her home in Tennessee. We'll hear more of their conversation in the second half of the show. And Sissy Spacek will talk about what it was like to play Loretta Lynn in the 1980 film Coal Miner's Daughter. She won an Oscar for that role. I'm Dave Davies, and this is Fresh Air. We're remembering country music singer and songwriter Loretta Lynn, who died yesterday at the age of 90. Her life story was made famous in the 1980 film Coal Miner's Daughter, which was based on her memoir of the same name. Her song, Coal Miner's Daughter, hit number one on the Billboard Country Chart when it was released in 1969. We were poor, but we had love That's the one thing that daddy made sure of He shoveled coal to make a poor man's dollar My daddy worked all night in the Van Leer coal mines All day long in the field of hoeing corn Mommy rocked the babies that night And read the Bible by the coal oil light And everything would start all over Come break of morn Daddy loved and raised their kids On a miner's pay Sissy Spacek won an Oscar for her portrayal of Loretta Lynn in the 1980 film Coal Miner's Daughter. But she told Terry when they spoke in 2012 that she was initially reluctant to take the role and didn't know why she was being offered it. Because Loretta had looked, she'd been brought a, a, a stack of 8 by 10 glossies by the studio, and they said, go through these. These are some of the young actresses that we were thinking might be good to play you. And um, she got to me, and she said, that's the coal miner's daughter. And she did not, she'd never seen any of my work. She's, I asked her, what, 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 you know, what was it about it? She said, I don't know. I just had a feeling. And Loretta's like that. But she was going on, she was so amazing. She, and she was on the Johnny Carson show several times a, a month, and also on Merv Griffin. She was just a favorite guest. She was so darling when she was on these shows and so entertaining. Everybody loved her. And she would also always say, well, little Sissy Spacek, she's going to play me. And I'd be watching the show, and I'd, you know, when you're young, you like to think you like to believe that you have some control over your destiny. As an older person, I realize now that that is not the case at all. But at that time, I believed that. And so when I heard this woman saying that, I was going to be like, now, just a minute. I, don't, I haven't met you. I haven't made a decision about what I'm going to do. So that was why. That was why. Um, but then I met her, and everything changed. So let's hear a little bit of you singing as Loretta Lynn in the movie, the title song, Coal Miner's Daughter. Well, I was born to coal miner's daughter In a cabin on a hill in Butcher Hollow We were poor, but we had love 
That's the one thing my daddy made sure of His shovel called to make a poor man's dollar Daddy loved and raised eight kids on a miner's pay Mommy scrubbed our clothes on a washboard every day My guest is Sissy Spacek. That's an excerpt from the film Coal Miner's Daughter, in which she played Loretta Lynn. And Sissy Spacek has a new memoir called My Extraordinary Ordinary Life. How much did you have to change your style of singing to sound like Loretta Lynn? Uh, I, I thought that I changed it a lot, and I... Well, you got I, that whole twangy country thing going. Yeah, but there's something about the way Loretta... Nobody else sings like Loretta, and nobody talks like Loretta. In fact, nobody in Kentucky even sounds like <laughs> Loretta. There's something that she does with her breath that's just, and her accent is just unique. And once I captured that, her rhythm, the hardest part of Coal Miner's Daughter for me was was giving it all up. It was not being Loretta. I was so funny when I was Loretta. I had such a, she has such a great sense of humor. Um, but, you know, early in my career, my my brother, who was in the music business with Decca Records, took me there once to, to uh, when I first went to New York, and, and set up a meeting for me. That's my brother, Ed, my older brother. And, and so all these agents uh, filed in. I guess they weren't agents, they were executives. They all filed in, and I played my guitar and sang, and then they they listened, you know, and they nodded their heads, and then they filed out, and I waited, and a little bit later, one of them came back in, and they said, you know, we have another artist uh, that's very much like you, uh, Loretta Lynn. And I was probably 18 at the time, and I was like, I do not sound like Loretta Lynn, and it's Loretta Lynn. (laughs) But I thought that was pretty funny later in life. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Terry. I've, I've enjoyed this so much. That was Sissy Spacek speaking with Terry Gross in 2012. Coming up after a break, the final part of Terry's interview with Loretta Lynn as we continue to remember the country music star who died yesterday. This is Fresh Air. We're remembering country music singer and songwriter Loretta Lynn, who died yesterday at the age of 90. Terry Gross interviewed her in 2010. Well, I want to play another song, and this is uh, a song that's covered on the new tribute album, but we'll hear your version, and this is After the Fire Is Gone. It's one of the hit duets that you recorded with Conway Twitty. So um, this song is attributed to L.E. White, a songwriter I'm not familiar with. Yeah, Ellie White wrote this song. It was one of Conway's writers. Oh, I see. And so they mm-hmm. brought the song to you. Yeah. How did you start recording with Conway Twitty? These duets are so good. Me and Conway went overseas. Uh, there was a whole crew of people went overseas to, you know, perform. And me and Conway started singing in the dressing rooms. So we thought, well, when we get home, we'll sing to Owen Bradley and see what he thinks. So Owen Bradley was your producer? Our producer, yeah. And and obviously he liked it. He loved it. He says, 
you all get in the studio and let's record. So that's what we did. Some of the songs are like, oh, we're so attracted to each other, but it's wrong, so we really shouldn't. And then, yeah. <laughs> and this one is After the Fire is Gone. After the Fire is Gone. Um, so this was recorded in 1970, went to number one on the country charts. And, um, yeah, everybody thought me and Conway had a thing going, you know. Oh, oh, but, uh, but, but you didn't. Because of the songs we recorded. But um, me and Conway were friends. We wasn't uh, lovers. Right. So on the tribute album, on the Loretta Lynn tribute album, Coal Miner's Daughter, this duet is covered by Steve Earle and Alison Moore, who are, in fact, married. Uh, but we're going to hear your version with Conway Twitty. So here it is. Okay. This is Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. Just now struck ten Darling, I had to call you To our favorite place again We know it's wrong for us to meet But the fire's gone out at home And there's nothing cold as ashes After the fire That's Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty recorded in 1970, a song that went to number one on the country charts. Now, there's one kind of song you've written that I, I haven't asked you about, and that is the, the I am so angry, you'd better be careful, because if you take my man, I will actually hit you <laughs> kind of song. <laughs> is that Fist City? Yeah, I'm thinking of Fist City, yeah. <laughs> oh. And it's not exactly a sisterhood is powerful kind of song. It, the lyric is, if you don't want to go to Fist City, you'd better detour around my town. Mm-hmm. Um, or else I'll, I'll grab you by the hair of your head and lift you off the ground. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell me about writing a lyric like this where, I mean, it's like real physical anger. Well, there was no gal that tried to take Doolittle away from me. There was somebody who and, tried that? Yeah, there was somebody. and uh, But she didn't uh, make it. Did you threaten her? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> With more than a song. <laughs> and not in rhyme. <laughs> That's right. It didn't rhyme at all. <laughs> what did you tell her? I just told her back off. She's playing with the wrong deal. You know, what's amazing to me, like, why would somebody think that they could compete with you? And also, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but, like, why would well, your that's husband... how women take your husband away from me all the time. So yeah. they all think that, you know. Right. So um, was it right after this incident that you sat down and write, wrote the song? You know, I don't know exactly when I wrote the song, but um, I'm pretty sure that I had some things in mind when I wrote it. I won't talk about it. That's fine. But do you think she knew <laughs> that it was about her? I just imagine. You imagine that she did? I imagine she did. Okay. I probably told her. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is Fist City. This is Loretta Lynn, one of her many hits. Uh, you've been uh, making your brags around town that you've been a uh, loving my man. But the man I love when he picks up trash, he puts it in a garbage can. And that's what you look like to me. And what I see is a pity. You better close your face and stay out of my way if you don't want to go to this city. If you don't want to go to this city, you better detour around my town. Cause I'll grab you by the hair of the head and I'll lift you off of the ground. I'm not a saint, my baby's a saint. Cause he ain't that he won't cat around with a kitty. I'm here to Come on and tell me what you told my friends If you think you're brave enough And I'll show you what a real woman is Since you think you're hot stuff You'll bite off more than you can chew If you get too cute or witty You better move your feet If you don't want to eat a meal that's coffee city If you don't want So that was Fist City uh, featuring Loretta Lynn and I should mention, too, that Loretta Lynn's uh, famous memoir, Coal Miner's Daughter, has been published in a new edition. I want to play another song, and this is uh, something more recent than what we've been hearing. This is your collaboration with Jack White. He produced an album of yours in 2004, Van Leer Rose. How did you meet? I, I went to Detroit to work, and Jack White came to see me. And, of course, he told me about when he was little, he was about nine years old, when Coal Miner's Daughter came out, he stayed in the theater the whole time, all day long, and watched Coal Miner's Daughter over and over and over. So uh, when he got a chance to work with me, he says, I told him I had to go home because I said, I've got to hurry because i got to record tomorrow. He says, well, how about me coming, being the producer? I said, well, why not? That's how we got together. So he was in Nashville by the time I was, and uh, we recorded, and that's how we started. He lives here in Nashville now. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, he lives here in Nashville. Oh. So, yeah. So you're good friends now? Oh, yeah. We've oh, always great. been good friends ever since we did the album. The track I want to play is called Miss Being Mrs. Uh, you wrote all the songs on this album. And uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, I like the song a lot, and also I just love how how stripped down it is. It's just you and a guitar. Is that is that Jack White on guitar? That's Jack White. Okay. Do you want to say anything about writing the song? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't like to talk about the way I write songs. I just let people hear and may know what I'm talking about. All right, good enough. So um, this is Loretta Lynn from the 2004 album Van Leer Rose, produced by Jack White, who's accompanying her on guitar. I lie here all alone In my bed of memories I'm dreaming of your sweet kiss Oh, how you loved on me I can almost fill you with me Here in this blue moonlight Oh, I miss being Mrs. Tonight Like so many of 
hearts Mine wanted to be free I've been held here every day Since you've been away from me My reflection in the mirror It's such a hurtful sight Oh, I miss being Mrs. That's my guest, Loretta Lynn, uh, with Jack White on guitar from the album Van Leer Rose, which Jack White produced of Loretta Lynn's songs in 2004. Your husband, who we've spoken a little bit about, died in 1996, and you didn't perform for a while after that. How has your life changed since he's been gone? Well, not for the better. I mean, uh, I miss him so much, you know. Uh, he kind of kept things going, like uh, me recording, and he'd always tell me how good I was, you know, and that always helped uh, a lot. And um, he would say, um, you know, we need to get a new record out or whatever. He he always kept me moving. And if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't have been singing, period, because he thought I could sing, and that's he put me to work. You know, as so many people are, 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 I think, kind of baffled a little bit by the relationship because it seems in some ways to have been a very rocky relationship. And at the same time, you stayed with him throughout. Well, we had a, I think we had a, a relationship. We fought one day and we'd, we'd love the next. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's a good relationship. <laughs> if you can't fight uh, and if you can't tell each other what you think, why well, your relationship ain't much anyway. You don't need him anymore to tell him you're a good singer, right? I mean, you you know that, right? Well, I don't know about that, but I try. <laughs> so this year, this year was the 50th anniversary of your first single. This year, you right. got a lifetime achievement Grammy. How much are you performing now? I'm performing quite a bit. We've been home for two or three weeks. Um, it's been quite a bit of time off for us because we don't usually take that kind of time off. But uh, I work a lot. But I like it. I don't like to sit down. I don't like to not do something. Well, Loretta Lynn, it's really been great to talk with you. Thank you so very it's much. It's been nice to talk to you, honey. Loretta Lynn speaking with Terry Gross in 2010. Loretta Lynn died yesterday at her home in Tennessee. She was 90 years old. Coming up, we remember another musical figure, jazz producer Sue Mingus, who was married to the bassist and composer Charles Mingus and formed a number of tribute groups which performed Mingus's music after his death. We'll be back in a minute. This is Fresh Air. We're going to remember Sue Graham Mingus, the widow of the late composer and bass player Charles Mingus. Sue Graham Mingus died Saturday at the age of 92. After the death of her husband in 1979, she made it her mission to keep his legacy alive, forming the Mingus Big Band, 
a repertory ensemble devoted to playing Mingus compositions. Charles and Sue met in 1964, moved in together in 73, and married in 75. She wrote a memoir about her relationship with Mingus called Tonight at Noon. We're going to listen to an excerpt of her 2002 interview with Terry Gross. Let's start with a 1959 Mingus recording of his composition, Better Get It In Your Soul. something about Mingus that seemed to inspire musicians to do their best work when they played with him. Some musicians that sound, you know, okay in other sad settings sound, sound inspired, fiery when they're playing with Mingus. Um, is there anything that you can think about that he did on the bandstand or in recording sessions that helped bring out those qualities in the musicians that played with him? Well, it was two things. It was Charles... But I have to say it was also the music, because we have the same effects now. The, the musicians will tell you that he is there lashing and whipping them and egging them on from the very center of the music. Part of this is absolutely a, a, a quality of the music itself. The other part was that Charles himself at the helm, of course, was, was shouting and screaming and making demands on his musicians here and now on the stage. He would do anything that he needed to do to get the response he wanted. He would curse them, insult them, fire them on stage, hire them back, cajole them, love them, anything that he could do to get that particular quality, that response of the music. In your book, you write that uh, Mingus had said he didn't like pencil composers. He wanted his music to sound like the musicians were making it up as they were playing it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about Mingus's approach to composing. Well, I have to say up front that Charles never pretended to be consistent, and his views and his method of approaching music changed constantly as his own approach to life. There was a time when he didn't like uh, pencil composers, he felt that it, it took away from the immediacy of the music, and he would shout out the lines to the musicians and hum the melodies. But that changed. Of course, Epitaph, his, his magnum opus, which was a score of 500 pages, it, it weighed 15 pounds on my bathroom scale. I, I, I weighed it one day. I mean, this was all written out. So you see, his, his approach change in what was true one decade was not necessarily true the, the next decade, or it had expanded and included other um, approaches to music. I want to play a composition that Mingus dedicated to you, and this was recorded in the latter part of the 70s. It's called Sue's Changes. Um, what did he tell you about this piece when he told you about it? Well, you know, Charles didn't talk about his compositions. He... Uh, nor did they necessarily reflect their titles. He would sometimes tack on a political title if there was something that moved or disturbed him in the news, and it might be a very lyrical little up-tempo piece, and it might have a title like Remember Rockefeller at Attica during the prison uprising, or Remember Cell Block F Tis Nazi USA, and it might be this kind of lilting little tune that didn't sound like it represented the title at all. And again, there were other political pieces with vocal parts like Fables of Fabus that did indeed reflect a political statement at the time. Sue's changes, um, I don't think we talked about. He was actually going to call that Sue's moods. And because it goes through many different um, tempo changes and melodies and um, 
I had a newspaper called Changes at the time, and I said, why don't you call it Sue's Changes? So he did, but he would always make a point of saying it had nothing to do with my newspaper. Well, why don't we hear Sue's Changes? Gross interviewed Sue Graham Mingus in 2002. Sue Graham Mingus died on Saturday. She was 92 years old. On tomorrow's show, to help us understand the protests in Iran, we'll speak with Iranian-American scholar Pardis Madavi, who was once dragged out of a Tehran classroom by morality police while lecturing about her book on Iran's sexual revolution. I hope you can join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Teresa Madden, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. For Terry Gross, I'm Dave Davies.